I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Seth. It's good to see you. It's great to see you, too. And I guess for our listeners, it's good to hear us. I would assume so. Otherwise, they probably so. wouldn't be listening. I hope it's good to hear us. It might be a letdown after Brian, though. Yeah, I so enjoyed having again. him on the podcast. It's just us. Back to sticking to our title of No Experts Allowed. I feel. Did we break the show by having an expert on? Yeah, I kind of think we did. Dang it. Well, but it's okay. Since we ruined everything, we might as well just continue see what happens next <laughs> true i have a question for you i mean what more what more could go wrong might as well <laughs> <laughs> what would you do in this particular situation would you want to be a substitute teacher or like a full-time regular teacher I don't know what. What do you call full time regular teachers? Just teachers, I guess. But aren't, I you, aren't you married to one? What does yeah, she call but, herself? <laughs> I mean, she just calls herself a teacher. But I felt like I had to differentiate in the question. Okay. So do you do you want to be a full time teacher or a substitute teacher? Is that the yeah? Question? I mean, that's the question. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is going terribly. Already. We need Brian to come back. Man. Okay. So. I would go with full-time teacher. I don't think... I think I might enjoy, like, the novelty of, like, doing something different every day. Or, like, maybe not working some days. I like having plans too much to submit my life to that level of chaos. Like, I, I have a lot of respect for people who do that. But being a sub just seems so hard. You get called in for anything. And are always just like the butt of every joke and everyone's always trying to take advantage of you. (laughs) Totally. It sounds so hard. I'd be a teacher, a regular full-time teacher. We were really mean to substitutes, especially when I was in high school. We convinced this one that our teacher would, would let us out early for lunch, just a couple minutes early because our classroom was like really far from the cafeteria. No, every day Mrs. Brown lets us out just a couple minutes early because we kept getting to the cafeteria and we were late and we had to wait in the long line. So she just lets us out like two or three minutes early. And the sub was like, yeah, that does make sense. Like it is so far. And we were like, yeah, exactly. So she let us out just a little bit early. It was awesome. You're terrible. (laughs) (laughs) We we, We convinced her. We were like, everybody in the class was like, was going along with it. They were all just like, yeah, yeah. Wait, so 
besides being terrible to substitutes, what would you teach if you were a full-time teacher? Presuming you can't teach Bible. <laughs> okay, yeah. I would probably teach history. Mm, okay. I'd go with math. Yeah, I couldn't teach math. I'm not I, li- math. I, like, I still like math. I know you do. I, I'm just not good enough at it anymore. I was okay at the time, but... But I think a lot of Bible is history. Yeah, you're right. I, I think there's some there's some connection between the disciplines there that I think works well. I mean, that was my entire undergraduate education. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'd support that. Okay, I I I don't want to think about us teaching. I want to think about us diving into a very special translation of tonight's passage. So, can I read it for us? Yeah, that'd be great. So this is John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life on behalf of the sheep. The hired servant, who is not a shepherd, and whose sheep are not his own, sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and flees, and the wolf attacks and scatters them. But the hired servant flees because he is not concerned about the sheep. I am. I am the good shepherd. I know mine and mine know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life on behalf of the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to his sheep pen. It is necessary for me to bring them and they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back up again. This commandment I received from my Father. All right, Seth, why don't you tell me about this translation and why you picked it for today? Okay, this is the SRV. Seth Roseman version. What? (laughs) And I translated this, I guess, probably about four years ago now for my class on the Gospels in seminary. And just like all translations do, it like seeks to balance readability and how literal the text can be. But I also tried to be attentive in a way that's similar to the CEB to how things hear, how you, you can hear the text. That's its short version i translated this years ago well i'm pretty impressed i would read more of the srv well thanks i appreciate that it's a good practice like every time i translate i'm like man i should do this more and then i'm also like this is terrible i should never do this again (laughs) (laughs) well what struck you while you were reading the srv well a couple things stood out to me one was your rendering, this is strange to say, but your rendering of the statement, I am the good shepherd with the second I in there. And I'm interested to hear why you made that choice. The other thing that I appreciated was in verse 16, where it talks about Jesus has other sheep that aren't part of the flock already. That whole verse, everyone becoming flock, one flock, one shepherd, that's just a really beautiful image, and I think an image of unity and togetherness that often escapes us these days. So those those things, I think, stood out to me most. 
Sure, and just a note about that translation with the, the double I. Uh, similar to the way in Spanish, for example, you can you can join the the subject and the verb like in one word, mm-hmm. right? Like you could you could just say soy. Greek works the same way. You can join the the subject and the verb together like that, but you can also like add the subject separately. I guess I should say. Right. So you could also say yo soy, right? And Greek works the same way. So in this passage from John. That's the way the Greek construction is. So I'm trying to portray that in my translation because there's no particular reason that second I has to be there. But John includes it anyway. Right. So I'm trying to, to get that across. And is that pattern consistent? I don't know if you know the answer to this. And if not, that's fine. You know, John is known for these I am statements. Is that pattern consistent throughout when it's, you know, I am the bread of life? Those, those other statements, are those consistent with this kind of pattern? The only one that I know off the top of my head is just before our passage for today. Jesus says, I am the gate. And it's true in that construction that he says, I, I am the gate. Okay. Interesting. That's an interesting point of emphasis. I'm glad you made that choice. That That's something new to learn. I think this passage always stands out to me because of... Jesus's I am statements in John this one seems to be the most personal and relational there's just an image of deep care deep love that doesn't necessarily come through when Jesus is talking about being the bread of life or being the gate or these other ones that come up that are still significant and really meaningful but this one just has a very personal connection there's a deep level of care and sacrifice and support yeah that's what always strikes me about this passage that the good shepherd is contrasted against this hired servant right who's not a shepherd he sees the wolf coming and he's like i'm out like (laughs) right they're not paying me enough for this like yeah the good shepherd has this deep care for the flock that he or she doesn't just flee at the first sign of danger, right? I like your point about it being the most personal metaphor because the other ones are like inanimate objects, right? You're like, (laughs) Jesus is like, I'm the gate. And you're like, okay, like, this is crazy. Cool. I love gate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Bread, I can get behind. Bread, I can always get behind. Gate, not as much of a personal connection. Yeah, same. Is there anything else that jumps out of you? Are we ready to move on to time, thinking about more? What's the point? I think I'm ready for that. If you are, unless there yeah. was anything else you wanted to highlight. No, I think we've we've talked about some of the nuances of of this passage, and I hope my translation helped us get there. I've been thinking about the ways the Gospels work on two literary levels. And we've, we've talked about this a lot. Like, it, they both describe what's happening, like, in Jesus' life. But they're also responses by an author to a particular community. That's what sticks out to me when I think about this hired servant who's, like, not really that committed. In contrast to Jesus, 
who is committed to death, right? Hmm. And I just wonder what it looks like to identify like these hired servants who like aren't in it for the long haul who are like there for themselves right as some type of temporary job maybe sort of like a substitute teacher i guess you could say Mm. and what it looks like in contrast to to the good shepherd the one who who will give of himself not just flee that's kind of a that's kind of a big question that's just what we do, isn't it? Well, I, I think that's the, I think that's the moment that helps us helps us know. Like you want to be able to know before those moments of crisis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's said that crisis doesn't build character; it reveals character, right? Mm-hmm. So those moments when mm-hmm. something might cost a leader something, or where something more significant is on the line. You get to see in those moments what a person's really made of. And for someone who's in it for themselves, those moments of great cost aren't worth what they might benefit from it. But Mm -hmm. for a shepherd that is caring for a flock that is their own, there's something about care, something about love that just screams forth from that imagery it would be a detriment to myself for this to happen to my sheep do you think that the model of the good shepherd is too difficult for faith leaders i guess what i'm really asking is like like can people be the good shepherd or are they always sort of these hired hands I don't I don't know because yeah, me, me we, neither. <laughs> you know people who people feel called to clergy roles, ministry leadership roles are called to be both shepherds and sheep. Hmm. Hmm. And because of that, it almost feels like the goal is not to think about, well, I'm not Jesus, so I can't be a good shepherd. But instead, think about, you know, I have an opportunity to be like Jesus, to be like the good shepherd or be like a hired hand. I think that distinction is helpful, but that invitation that Jesus offers to consider your own leadership in that space and how the church has traditionally talked about pastors. I mean, that word comes from the same roots of shepherding. So it com- I think it just comes down to a recognition that we are not the good shepherd, but we can be like the good shepherd because we we follow, we try to, we try to learn the good shepherd's voice. And maybe there are ways that we can use our own voice to replicate that of the voice mm-hmm. of the good shepherd. At the same time, I know that this kind of mentality can be really harmful for pastors and in ministry settings too, where it's like, if I'm not putting myself on the line, I'm not doing my job right. Hmm. Like this mm-hmm. is like constant self-sacrifice, this almost martyrdom complex where it's like I have to not have any boundaries, work constantly, <laughs> respond yeah. to every call, never spend time with my family because this is what Jesus would do. And sure, in this image, that's what Jesus does. 
but we also have Jesus who eats with his friends and goes and hides away in quiet places when he's had enough <laughs> of people, you know, taken in isolation. This image can be really challenging, but I think given a more holistic reading of stories of Jesus and a more holistic understanding of the role of a ministry leader or a pastor, it kind of unlocks a particular image and particular role that can be really meaningful and helpful. Yeah, I'm rereading our passage. And the second time that Jesus says he's the good shepherd, he says, I, I am the good shepherd, and I know mine, and mine know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life on behalf of the sheep. I just wonder, like, if that isn't a clue to how, like, we get to be better shepherds. Like, it's Jesus' relationship with his Father that empowers mm. him to be a good shepherd. And it's also his relationship with the sheep, right? Like, he knows them so well. Yeah. Like, as opposed to the substitute who, like, comes in. When I was in high school, they would get a handout, and it had everyone's picture, like, in the class and their name. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is, the teacher doesn't need the printout after, like, the first day, right? Maybe the maybe the first couple of days. I'm not very good with names, but yeah, so it's something about knowing God and knowing your flock, if I can use that term, that makes the good shepherd the good shepherd. And I think, like you were you were talking about before, that it's not exclusive to Jesus, but that to do it perfectly might that might be exclusively for Jesus, right? But to be a, a good shepherd in general is not exclusive. Yeah, this interesting passage, I think, like thinking about what might be happening in the Joanine community at this time, that the author feels like he's got to warn people. Yeah. Is, there, is this yeah. a sub? Is this a subtweet? That's my yeah, question. That, and I think I honestly think it is. I think it is a subtweet. Like, I want to know more about that. That's the bad part about subtweets. I'm like, nah, just just at them. Don't subtweet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it's also a call. Like in in the same way that we don't know who the author's calling out, it makes me not want to be the one John's calling out. Yeah, I normally don't like being called out regardless, but being called out for something like this would feel particularly particularly harsh. Yeah, and I guess like thinking about subtweets, at least for me, that that's one thing they they can do, right? Is they always make you ask the question like, oh, who, who's this talking about? <laughs> but it, it also makes you ask the question like, is this me? Right? Like, am I the one? Who they're who they're calling out yeah that's i think that's always that's always a good practice when we're encountering scriptures with multiple characters in any setting is to always put yourself in the shoes of all the characters so often we yeah. want to put ourselves on the side of the hero or the person who receives jesus's help or something like that what happens if our best connection is it the person 
that's being called out for how they're not being like the way Jesus operates, you know, what does that say to us about us? What does that invite us into? And I guess the que- the other question is, what are the things? What are the things that prompt us to run away? When, yeah, yeah. when standing strong might be a more faithful response. Wait, say more about that. I think that's a great question. Well, yeah. I mean, if we're if we're reading reading this passage and thinking about ourselves as the hired servant that runs away because they're not concerned about the sheep. It comes back, like I was saying before, like there comes a point when the benefit of leadership outweighs the cost and you stick around. But at some point that flips. Like, And what are the moments that make that flip, that make us say, this is not worth it anymore? Because it seems like there are spaces where those moments, those moments of crisis that reveal our character those also reveal who is being faithful and who is not. Not necessarily a one-to-one correlation of like who sticks around when things get hard, not necessarily saying that, but it is to say that there are opportunities for a leader to step in, to stand in the gap, so to speak, on behalf of those who have been entrusted to their care, especially those who really do need someone to care for them, to advocate for them, to support them. And for someone to step out of that, to run away from that, and leaving those who might be most vulnerable to further attack or destruction. That seems to be the exact thing that Jesus counters. The idea that Jesus was existing among a people that was on the margins of the Roman Empire and often was among the people that were on the margins of that marginalized (laughs) community. It's like, these, these are my people. These are who I'm going to stand up for. And when the time comes, even when they are going to kill me for it, I will not yield. Not out of some, like, power trip, but saying, these are my people. These are the ones who have been entrusted to my care. And that role for the good shepherd is one that can cost everything. Hmm. That'll preach. Let's hope so. If it'll preach, do you think it'll pray? I think so. Will you pray with me, Jonathan? I'd love that. Giving God, as the good shepherd, you lay down your life for your sheep. You don't run away at the threat of wolves. Because your care for those entrusted to you is overpowering. Help us be good shepherds too, investing in our communities, caring for the vulnerable, and even laying our lives down if needed. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story are we telling next week? Next week, we're going to take a look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, a passage about how God is love. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it.